0: Sci-Fi Diner
1: Classic. I'm one
0: of your hosts, Scott Hertzog
1: And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin.
0: And we are fresh back from shore Leave 34. Mm-hmm. Two shore Leaves ago, we had the distinct privilege of interviewing our next guest here. Um, so this is an interview that was two years old. But mm-hmm. Two years ago, we had a chance of interviewing this guy. Who, who is this?
1: Um... The great Edward James Alamos. the great admiral himself, mm-hmm. right? And this was um, just a few months after uh, uh, *Battlestar Galactica* uh, ended its, uh, it, you know, it, it was in it its series. So, yeah. fresh off that, yeah,
0: fresh off that. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, we often go back to this, and you've heard us tell the story if you've been with us long enough. But he gave us this interview after a full day of signing autographs, speaking to people, and he was tired. Yeah, he mm. sat down with us for 45 minutes
1: i know that was i mean extremely generous of the guy but i he's a class act uh you know at, at conventions i mean my experience was if, if you asked him a question you know it wasn't just a simple yes or no or one sentence answer he, he'd give you a good thoughtful answer and so um he was just very kind to, to give us that much time with this yeah. interview it's a very you know so um so yeah, we, we a lot of it was Balaster Galactica oriented because it was still you know just right, the series had just ended. But we talked about his his, his career in the past and uh, a little bit
0: about Blade Runner, a
1: little bit about Blade Runner, and um, you know just um, and so ha- some some of the social commentary Balaster Galactica explores and you know with, with things going in the world today. So he, he you know it was a very thoughtful interview from from him, and so um, it, it, it to me it's one of my all time favorites. Uh, uh, I can't say enough good things about. Uh, the interview and just what a, what a class act i thought he was
0: yeah definitely uh definitely a, a high caliber of, a, of an actor mm-hmm. and all around gentleman and if, you ever, if you ever get a chance to meet him at a con he was, was just phenomenal
1: I, absolutely yeah and
0: so thank you again we say thank you i was shortly 32 we were so grateful to just have him there and uh, and so we hope you enjoy this interview bringing you without the news and the other stuff that we put into the original podcast when we first released this in the, uh, I guess when we were in the 70s back then So, mm. 70 episodes ago so Wow so. But, um, we hope you enjoy our re-release of this interview And
2: uh, Edward James, please.
3: Hello Sci-Fi fans This is Edward James, almost better known as Admiral Adama And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast Welcome Don't forget, this is the best podcast on the internet.
4: So say we all. No one should feel obligated to join this mission in any way. This is a decision I have made for myself. If it turns out that there are not enough personnel to crew Galactica... I will lead a raptor assault with anyone who is willing to join me. Let there be no illusions. This is likely to be a one-way trip. So don't volunteer out of sentiment or emotion. line running down this deck. Volunteers move to the starboard side, everyone else to the port.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes into your mind when you hear great movies like Blade Runner, Selena, Hollywood Confidential, or great TV shows such as Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, and one of my favorites, Battlestar Galactica, I'll just name a few. Well, what should come to your mind is not only an award-winning actor, but a director, producer, activist, and all-around gentleman, the Admiral himself, Mr. Edward James Alamos. Mr. Alamos, welcome and thank you for taking time to speak with us on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.
3: It's a pleasure to be here with all of you.
1: We're certainly delighted to talk to you. I got some questions from one of our friends on Twitter. Um, I want to ask you, um, uh, how did you land a role uh, of uh, of those gaffed at Blade Runner? Um, I was doing a play on Broadway at the
3: time called Zoot Suit, and um, one of the producers, Katie Haver, had seen me perform and Mm -hmm. told Ridley about me. And so um, really uh,
1: called me in, and they offered me the room. Great. Um, now, last year, Khan, who's another one of our friends on Twitter, you had alluded that there was a connection between Gaffed, uh and Adama. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that?
3: Yeah, if one sees the entire show of uh, Battlestar from the beginning to the end, and you get to the very end, the last moment, mm-hmm. The show brings you from a period that you don't really know you're in until, bingo, you find out in the very last sequence that you're 200,000 years before humankind the way we know them today, right this second, because right. it ended in 2008.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's what the show brings us up to, mm-hmm. that's day. And if you, if you take it there, you'll see uh, Six and Baltar walking down Times Square. Right. And Six uh, says to Baltar, you know, this has happened before, it's going to happen again. And uh, Baltar says, well, maybe this time we've learned.
5: Mm-hmm. You know?
3: And then the show goes to black. And that was the end of the show. And if you get Blade Runner mm-hmm. right there and you put it in, that starts in 2019, mm-hmm. just 11 years later. And you see how much we've learned. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you notice that Gaff is a direct descendant Adama. Mm-hmm. Same genetic structure. They even look alike in some ways. It's, it's amazing.
1: It is. <laughs> it's uncanny.
3: Yeah. Except that the guy's a lot younger than Adama, so right, right, right. Still, it's kind of like, you kind of feel like maybe it was a younger Adama.
1: Mm. It's been a few years. <laughs> I'll, I'll pop in blade runner again. again. <laughs> you'll,
3: you'll enjoy it. I, I will. Especially I will. If, you, if you're really into Battlestar. Because when you're into Battlestar all the way and you feel that world come alive to you, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you jump into you know, mm-hmm. this world here that we live in right this second. Yeah. Only in the future. And just like, boom, you see what happens. Right. Wow. It's amazing how well it's stuck together. It was uncanny. Well, I don't, I don't think, think that Ron Moore had any idea that it was going to connect in such a profound way mm-hmm. when he cast me in the role.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't think he was leading in that. I don't think uh, that any of them really thought about the connection between Battlestar and Blade Runner, even though Battlestar had some images that would immediately you would remember Blade Runner and say, "Wow, I remember that um, slow turning cylindrical fans, and moments movements of that kind. You know, the beautiful juice." Six coming down the walkway of the opening yeah. segment. And just yeah. bingo, you just immediately think of Blade Runner. Right. Oh, wait. So you have that, that world that no one had ever stepped into. Uh,
5: Battlestar stepped into it from the very beginning mm-hmm. and just walked through that door. On. Boy, that was one of the things that uh,
2: Ron Moore and I, and David Eich,
3: uh, and uh, Michael and discussed immediately. Hmm. I told him that I really wanted to go into that world, mm-hmm. and because nobody had ever gone into it, I said, you know, "Why not us? You know,
5: mm-hmm.
3: Just take advantage of it." Mm-hmm. And so we did, and that's what ended up happening. Connected and profoundly, uh, people a hundred years from today will understand it better than they do right now. right now, you know, oh, the guy says that you know it connects. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's how I dig it but inevitably my work is going to be looked at in a body of work. And people will not look at it in perspective of somebody saying to them they should see all of this and get to that. They will have been into this world and they will see that world and they'll put it together themselves because it's the same act, And all of a sudden. You just put it in as if it's part of the show. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, this is what happened. So you see that Adama takes off and his genetic structure continues it. Sure. Bingo and you 200,000 years later, Adama is gaffed the top
1: the Blade Runner, okay. the
3: only Blade Runner in the movie. I'm
1: going to have to watch Blade Runner again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's so happy you did.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, a lot of what you're saying here, there's a lot of social commentary in on Battlestar. One of the things that, we've, that I know I've appreciated about Battlestar, and I know when we talked to Richard Hatch, that one of the best things about battle stars that comments on society, talks about it, but doesn't necessarily say you have to believe this. It opens it up to explore the questions and explore the possibilities, but not necessarily give you a right or wrong answer. And I think that makes some of the best sci-fi. when I mean, you're challenged to think for yourself.
3: I think so. I think it does. And uh, as long as you don't indicate or, you know, make people you know, manipulate them so that they all feel the same thing. Right. Yeah, You're allowing people to have their own objective feel about what they're doing here. And that's what happened in the show. I said it today in the panel of the panels that we had. um, And uh, I said that the audience had a profound effect on this show, like no other show in the history of television had ever had. Meaning that because the advent of the Internet, the advent of Twittering, of blogging, the advent of uh, Facebook, you know, what happened was that the show writers would write the show. Then the production crew would get the script, which was already at one very high level, and augment it to another level by putting wardrobe into it, putting sound into it, putting the acting into it, putting the camera work, you know, the directorial, uh, you know, understanding of script, and brought it to life, and it augmented it, brought it to a higher level. Then we passed all of that on to the post-production, and post-production then added all of their uh, special effects, all of the music, all of the scoring, all of the the sound, you know, all the sound effects, and and, and, uh, uh, editing, and just elevated it to a much higher level than even the production could ever have imagined. Mm -hmm. Then they put it on the air. And the moment that someone saw it in whatever part, regions of the planet, somebody it was passed over television to them. They immediately downloaded it. They immediately put it on the internet, and they sent it out. So people who saw it for the first time, say in you know uh, a part of the United States, maybe got it before another part of the United States, or maybe in, in the case of the very first season. England got it first. They used to get it uh, a couple of days before we did in the United States. And so they got it. And as soon as they got it, somebody put it on the internet. So people here were watching it almost simultaneously. It was uncanny. Mm -hmm. If you were really into computers and you knew how to make it work for you, you were getting it almost to the moment Mm -hmm. because somebody was downloading it right at that moment and feeding it. And so therefore it was, you know, the moment that it finished, somebody was, was watching it already and getting close to the end in some other part of the world. Then the blogging started. And people started to talk about what it meant to them.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Not what it what the writer was trying to say, but what the show meant to them. And they took it to a, really, a, much further. They saw into this, oh, my God the combinations of ideas that came out of the audience was unprecedented. Oh, this means this, and this means that. Oh, no, 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 because if you remember back, oh, this is much more in the case of this is happening. And pretty soon, the writers were on their blogging with them, saying, well, in some context, I never wrote it in that manner, but I can see what you mean. So all of a sudden, the show got augmented to an even higher level. Then the writers went back and started writing for the next shows from that level. Not from the level they started writing the show originally, Mm -hmm. but the augmented level that had gone on, including the blogging and the constructive uh, creative criticism done by everyone Mm -hmm. that was watching it on the planet. I'm not talking about just one segment or one group. I'm talking about people, some people who had never watched sci-fi, got involved and they would blog and they found the blogs and people talking to you know Bear McCreary about the music and made him made Bear understand better his music and the writers understood their writing even better so all of a sudden this became a very hands-on
1: interactive piece of work that we f- never f- had before the fans invested themselves into it
3: and and we took them on on the legit we we turned around and the writers said, yes, you're right, and they wrote from there. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, yes, you're right, and then, well, that doesn't matter, that's not my idea, so I'm going to only go with my ideas. No, they didn't do that.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: They did what really secure, creative people do. Somebody says, uh, you know, one, two, three, and the creative mind goes uh, mm-hmm. four, five, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And somebody goes nine, ten, and the other one goes 12, 13, 14, 15, 16.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And all of a sudden, you're to 16, where you would have never got to 16. It was just, it, those two elements had not been put there, so that's
1: what happened. I remember Rolling Stone calling Battlestar Black the most intelligent show on television.
3: <laughs> I remember that. I remember Time Magazine, they sat and went, the world started. Mm-hmm. So. Critics adored the, the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really found a voice that was speaking clearly to issues of terrorism to issues of abortion, mm-hmm. to issues of, uh, you know, suicide bombings. Mm-hmm. By the time you were done, you were thoroughly confused as to what... You, you understood did. why suicide bombers do what they did. You could
1: and sympathize, you could, sympathize with, with them.
3: Not sympathize. You understood. All uh-huh. right didn't mean you were sympathetic mm-hmm. to right. them but you understood why they were doing this
0: mm-hmm.
3: right you know I don't like a suicide bomber no matter if it's for the right reason mm-hmm. <laughs> right it's just not my way of understanding this kind of life that we need it's too mm-hmm. short so basically it's it's been a very very difficult journey for humankind I mean Roslyn, you know everybody hates uh, you know this conflict that we have between, Right to life and right to choice.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, it causes, so it's like a right to bear arms. Right.
1: You know, it's very polarizing. Very, though.
3: very polarizing, and it's very, very difficult, complex issue. Mm-hmm. Immigration, very complex issue. Mm-hmm. Some people try to make it very cut and dry, very simple. Yeah. But when you really get down to it, there's so, so complex the issues that we can't answer them. You know, some people say, I can answer it, and okay, that's how you feel, got it. But guess what? There are people who don't feel like you feel, so Mm. guess what? It's now become very complex. And therefore, you have your way of thinking, looking at it, that person has their way of thinking about it, and then how are you going to resolve the issue? And most of the time, you resolve it with violence, Mm. and that's the problem. That's why we were invited to the UN. I know I was gonna ask it's you. They're reconciliation the Tory people. They they reconcile they they want to be able to get the Jew and the Palestinian to sit down and talk. Yeah. They want, you know, the you know the Taliban and, and the you know everybody else, the Christians, to sit down and talk.
5: But it's
1: it's pretty well, impossible. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very it's, difficult conversation. <laughs> it's ambitious chore. Yeah,
3: so that's what we do, took on. And, and we didn't answer anything. All we did was hold a mirror up to the society that was watching the piece and they had to deal with it themselves. But it made the people who were very, very honestly confused or had a strong sense of balance completely flip. Because the Cylons had the one God.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not yeah. mad yeah. Okay, bingo, right there. You say,
3: what? Oh, yeah, that's, what? Wait a minute. You know, they were, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Another thing I appreciate about Battlestar Lacto, as opposed to a lot of other sci-fi shows, was spirituality. Oh, so, I mean, it wasn't saying same way. Walter was
3: hated, but uh, then you started to realize what Walter was saying was what Christians have been saying since beginning of Christianity. Right. Then we started to say, this, Oh shit, wait a minute. Is this guy the the devil? Is mm-hmm. this guy you know the, the bad guy who's talking you know through both sides of his mouth, or was he really believing in what he was saying?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It really confused. The complexity you confused. of faith. Yeah,
3: and and it wasn't like you were given an answer to this. All right. You know, you had to deal with Baltar every week to try to figure out if he was legit or not, if he really meant what he was saying, <laughs> or if he didn't. And if you didn't hold on to your head, you could you you pull up the wrong conclusion.
2: Right. I mean, at the end, when they go walking through it, and, and, and the whole situation of this reoccurring dream of the in the opera house mm-hmm. comes to play, and it comes
3: to play in the middle of the opera house, which just happens to be, you know, the uh, main control center of the Battlestar
1: Galactica. And <laughs> <laughs> just everybody was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> right? What's going on? But if I remember, I, I listened to Ron Moore's. Uh his commentary on the, mm-hmm. his podcast, and he said it was just serendipitous that just kind of worked out.
3: I think the whole shit was serendipitous. Uh-huh. I think it was like the happiest thing that ever happened to everybody that watched it and the, everybody that dove into it mm-hmm. on all levels. You yeah. ask the camera department. Mm-hmm. You ask the wardrobe department. You ask uh, post-production. You ask, you know, uh, the actors. You yeah. ask... You know, Sci-Fi, the channel that created, helped create it, you know, they'll tell you flat out, you know, this was one of the most extraordinary experiences we've ever had.
5: Mm-hmm. Some
3: of it didn't like it at all, didn't like the experience, but they couldn't renege the fact that something happened that has never happened before.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Whether you liked it or you didn't, you had to hold on to your happiness. This was really a monumental way
2: of getting together with a whole lot of different people and creating something that
3: really will last the test of time. Long after, you know, The Wire has been played, and long after, you know, 24 has been played, and long after, you know, uh, Deadwood, and, and all the great lost, all the great shows that we've had, mm-hmm. hundred years from today, um, people will look at this piece of work and find something Resoundingly, you know, human that just allows you to say to yourself, wow, these people were really confused. Boy, oh boy, you know, they were really doing that.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: That that society was doing that. I mean, don't forget, we're, this was all post nine uh, eleven. Yeah. So the mental thought of everybody on the planet has changed. So, so all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. Right. So, uh, you know, all I can say is that I'm proud to be a part of it.
4: the ship all stations report sir connect me just to the ship this is the admiral just so there'll be no misunderstandings later galactic has seen a lot of history gone through a lot of battles this will be her last she will not fail us we do not fail her if we succeeded our mission galactica will bring us home if we don't it doesn't matter anyway action stations start the clock five four three two one mark
1: Is there one episode or a couple episodes that maybe that really stand out to you? No, uh, the
3: first episode was true. The, the kiss of incredible love for what we were doing. Mm-hmm. The, was, uh, uh, the first one was 33. And uh, when we dove into that, after, it had been a long time after we had done the pilot. Mm-hmm. The miniseries was actually maybe almost about maybe a year over a year before yeah. we got into doing the first show. <clears throat> and the very first show, 33, just threw you right into the world in such a way that, man, you never left. Boy, if you saw the miniseries and you enjoyed it and you went to episode one, you were hooked. Mm-hmm. It was over. It wasn't like you kind of said, well, I think I'll just kind of go through a couple more. These shows, that'll be it were stuck <laughs> and it was stuck for the good and the bad of it because you know we didn't really get our legs until the, you know towards the middle to the end of the first year mm-hmm. you know we kind of got our balance and then by the second year it started to grow and third year was you couldn't stop it fourth year you just wanted more and then you know at the end of the well, a fourth season but it was split into two seasons became the fifth season 4.5 season yeah became which was the last ten shows that we did Right. became you uh, just didn't want it to stop, and that's why everybody felt the pain. Everybody that was in the movie, that was in that world, when they split up, everybody wept. Hmm. Really, you had to be
2: emotional. I mean, there was no two ways about it, and you didn't have to maybe shed tears, but you sure and hell had
3: to think right. about what this whole experience had been and where you ended up. You had no idea that you were two hundred thousand years before the existence yeah. of this planet. I mean, what? What? Where are we? Well, we'll call it Earth. Oh, yeah. That's how Earth got its name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a clever way to do it. <laughs> that was
3: really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like stunning, you know, they're just looking at, you know, <laughs> humanoids walking down the earth. They, they, they don't have them. Well, some of the tribes have language, but we don't know how far advanced they are in the language. Others don't yet have language. You know, they had barely, you know, succumbed to some of the basic fundamentals of understanding and, and I've got to take this because the writers were fantastic mm-hmm. and they really they had a good time and even they suffer now we said it from the beginning when we started to move instead of meeting this term cast sit down in my trailer and uh, we would talk about you know this journey and uh, it was pretty Evident that it was so well constructed that you could
2: actually, you felt and you knew, and, and everybody thought it was just incredible
3: that, that we were able to. I was able to actually uh, chart out what was going to happen, including the lack of understanding by the uh, uh, artistry in the community of our own actors. Very few people saw the program. You know, that's where we never got an Emmy. I mean, we got it for special effects, so obviously they had to give us something because makeup and special effects were, were really doing great work, as was uh, the sound department in engineering. You know? mm-hmm. Sound engineering and... Uh, you know, so they, they got... The, the technical awards had to come because of the impact of what we were doing, so they that's all right. saw it. But I don't think that the, uh, the actors... Took time to watch it. You know, they don't think they did. Uh, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that we got any uh, time. The writers got nominated, but none of them ever won.
2: Mm.
3: You know, and so you knew that the they people either didn't like it in the industry. You know, or they not enough of them watched it. It was interesting to see how that went. And, it, it, it went to and I pretty much predicted it but what I couldn't predict was the uh, the Peabody
1: right I remember the George
3: Foster Peabody that surprised everyone that was like I remember when the Bonnie Hammer called me and uh, she was um, emotional very emotional she was crying she says Eddie since 1985, I've been trying to put out the finest documentaries that I could, the finest uh, usage of this medium that I could, you know, in hopes that somebody would recognize it, maybe we could earn a Peabody through one of our, you know, many programs that we did on, on
0: humanity and, and that we've been trying to create, that I have been trying to
3: create, and as well as creating commercial pieces of work. She said, you know, I was really trying to, to grab hold of the integrity of what it means to win a Peabody.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, never could. And I'm calling you today to let you know that we got one. I got a Peabody from Battlestar Galactica, and she was really emotional. It was amazing. And when we went, we were all very proud to go. You know, it's just, it's unusual. Very unusual that you got that kind of... Because what the George Foster Peabody means, is really uh, indicative of what you said at the beginning what Time magazine said what people were saying about the show that it was a very strong usage of the uh, great usage of the media mm-hmm. you know, and that's what the Peabody does it goes around the world and looks at the way different uh, people are using electronic media and they say thank you by giving them the highest nice toward to bring about right. And so they'll go to Russia, they'll, get, they'll go to Europe, they'll go to Africa, they'll go to Latin America, they'll come to the States, Canada, North America, and they'll look around and they'll see what the best shows are that are being played on television and radio and now on the internet. And they then say to them, this is the best of this year. This is the best of the radio and television and internet on the planet today. Here, boom. And that's what they've become. We run the University of Georgia, the George Foster Peabody. Is now become the um, Academy Award or the Emmy, mm-hmm. the, but to to world usage of electronic media, mm-hmm. and that's the most prestigious award you can receive on the planet for usage of the media. So when we received it, I was I was touched very
1: much. Yes, it's sci-fi it. shows don't often get none had ever gotten that credit ever. they deserve. No, it was but good ever yeah. none of them
3: ever got to do that right so it's a mm-hmm. interesting yeah.
1: what inspiration did you draw from to give life to the William Adama character did you use any historical military men as inspirations or did you you know no I just
3: took the reality base of what we experienced in my life and in the life of people that we read about it you know and uh just, you know, just played the facts. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then I found the music that really helped me out a lot because that made that world come alive to me. I had to find a way of making it different. And uh, Eva Pramal, uh, her music, her mantras, you know, the, the album of Essence, uh, it, uh, really became The calling card for me to be able to really step into this Mm world and stay Mm
5: -hmm. there—I never left. Mm -hmm.
3: To this day, I still play her music along with uh, Bear uh, McCreary's—you know, incredible, incredible incredible beautiful music. If you've ever seen him do it live, you'd flip out. His live performances of the uh, BSG orchestra. Unbelievable. People who have gotten the opportunity to see him perform live mm-hmm. have just been so overwhelmed. It's fantastic. He's mm-hmm. great. And all the musicians that played on, on that music play with him live.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Wow. And so the entire orchestra is there, and I think it's about 18-piece. Wow. And it's fantastic. It's
0: great. He's an incredible, right? I yeah, see he just record. he just won a award for Human Target, or was up for Human Target as yeah, he's, he's writing good. for. Good. He definitely, so yeah, he's he's a, know, He'll go
3: on to do be one of the great, great, great composers
1: time. He's got a good career ahead of him.
3: Yeah, so, mm-hmm. he sure does.
1: Now, um, I, I've read that some what you brought to to was a little bit of improv. Um, can you give you know example, of maybe? Some, you, Scripts it one way, then you, th- and then you kind of may went into a different direction.
3: I think the most drastic one was at the very first day of filming. Um, the uh, "So Say We All" speech was probably the one, that most got most recognition for that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. In which um, I remember the producer David Ike holding up the telephone to uh, as he had Ronald Moore on the line. Ronald Moore was in LA, and, and uh, we were on the stages of Vancouver, at the Vancouver Studio, and we we're doing. And they wanted it was written so that I would be standing next to the uh, uh, spiritual leader, our spiritual leader, right. and uh, she was uh, going to speak, and then I was going to speak right after her, and I was going to stand at a podium, and. I said to the director I said it doesn't feel organic to me at all it doesn't feel like I've be there at that point I think that we're at it was the end of the movie it's the end of, it's the beginning of the journey it's something we shot the very last scene first mm-hmm. the first time we ever all worked together I think it, was, it might have been even maybe the first or second sh- set up scene for of, of the show that mm-hmm. we were doing so this was it So, I uh, improv improvised the location that I started from, and improvised my walking through the the bodies that lay on the ground and where I started, and what made me move, where my my movement came from, why I was going from point A to
5: point B, Mm -hmm.
3: how I was pushed into it, and how uh, I was shocked by the lack of, of hope. That everyone was exhibiting, and, and how knowing full well that the, the future of humanity rested in our hands right there, this few thousand people were stuck on the battle strike line because we didn't know we had a rag ragtag fleet, but it wasn't as large as, <laughs> as it what got to be. Mm-hmm. And we were less than you know fifty ships then. We didn't know how many ships were still still working and still out there. We knew that we were in trouble. Mm-hmm. We had no idea if there were still people alive on the planet. We found that out later, but uh, so it was just a, a really difficult moment in time. <clears throat> and so, the the so say we all was not written the way it was. Uh, we brought it and used it, and David Ike uh, held the phone up and says, hey, you, "You won't believe this." To to my uh, boy, more. He screen, "So say we all." So say we all, so say we all. And it was a written, you we all say it three times, building with enthusiasm
2: across it and bringing about this incredible feeling of, of triumph at the end of it, you know, giving people, you know, through this
3: cohesive, collective unity of spirit, our hope that would drive us into the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Believe me, that So Say We All Speech became the... Uh, Shakespearean moment of of the piece.
1: I mean, absolutely. I I got it, I was like, everybody was kind of almost numb and you had to, Adama had to wake everybody up, smack everybody in the face.
4: Yeah, similar
0: to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had chills when I was hearing
3: that. Oh, all of us. I mean, when we saw the piece and when when we were doing it, people didn't know that they had to repeat after me. (laughs) It wasn't said that everybody says, you know, so say we all... And then he repeats it with stronger force and says, so say we all, and they finally, you know, first there's three, then there was 12, and then there was 15, and then it was hundreds, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, wow. It wasn't written. That. And so when it was done, the entire crew and the actors stepped into that world. Mm-hmm. Everyone stepped into that world. Everyone. Mm-hmm. PAs everybody just sat there and just like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And from that moment on, they changed the course of the direction of the piece, right? And we used it a lot. We used improvisation, not that we would improvise to change the context of the scene.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: No, it was just to make the, the organic growth of the scene become honest to itself. So mm-hmm. It's just the moment to moment to hold, right? So that people knew where they were at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time that I directed I directed Time Me Up, Time Me Down what a difficult show that was because we were caught with a really difficult journey and where Ron wanted to go it was different than what the studio wanted to do because the studio saw that we were losing certain aspects of the clarity of, of the they wanted it lighter they wanted it to be more so that people could see it and, and women would like it And it was getting too dark by the
2: 8th show. God, we were fighting each other (laughs) in boxing matches, and
3: and it was going crazy. So by, I think it was was the 7th show, I think. I think it might have been the ninth. And they they wanted a comedy. Battlestar (laughs) Galactica, the the comedy. Right. We were were like stunned. I remember when the word came down that we were going to do a comedy. I said, if, and I, I went to the, the, the producer and said, if "You're really going to try to do this, and I going to direct it. I, we, we can't let this get out of hand. You know, this is there. Uh, there are ways of being funny without ever losing where we are. Right. right. So let's just do that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's what we want to do. Okay, then let me direct it. And so I took over the, the helmet and directed it. And uh, you know, that was that. great. It was some great. Moment just hysterical but they were so sad Yeah, right. sad, sad, sad moments but they were so hysterical because you know that was the great scene the, uh, when Ellen comes back and, and you know she's found and I, she comes back and I bring her back to the Battlestar and there's a Ty standing <laughs> there and he sees his wife and she thought, he thought she was dead and, and they're we don't know how badly alcoholic they were, but they were, they were really, like, rubbed each other to the point where they became one in alcoholism, right. where they were just like, when they were together, they just drank and t- annihilated. So they're drunk out of their minds, and I invite them over for dinner, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Ellen's playing with, uh, uh, you know, Lee Adama's uh, cock with her foot underneath the table, mm-hmm. And, you know, I told her, I said, I want you to put your foot right on. what? She goes, yeah, I want you to stick your foot. You'll be laying, you'll be sitting there. You'll, you'll act normal, but I want you to put your foot. in." And, and Lee didn't know it was coming. <laughs> he didn't know it was coming. I was,
1: he went, <laughs> just talking about organic.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. You. I mean, she just put her foot right on it and put it on there. And, uh, you know, and I had the cameras... <laughs> and, and, and the cat's reaction, I didn't catch the moment where he went on there because I would have given it away. But I caught what happened to him. I got that on camera. And so sure enough, he was just stunned. And boy, when we hollered cut, he started laughing. The whole place was just hysterics. And then, and then, of course, I told him to grab his ass. She, he bent over to pick up her shoes. And he says, here it is. And here it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of that sexuality right, okay, which wasn't written in Pete's but it lent itself to this really incredible feeling
2: about this woman. And oh my god, what a what a
3: disaster this is gonna be. I mean, not only do we have these people out in space, but we have now this and everybody thought that she was a sucker. animal. Right. She was the right. Yeah. Nobody knew it at the time. And we actually started believing that she couldn't be, you know, she was <laughs> too human to right. be a silent.
1: Right. Well, what was so great was that she you know yes, she was this kind of a train wreck of a character, but yeah. then when she gets Oops. brought back it's like she she's still Ellen, but it's like she's I mean, she knows what's going on she's She's, you know, she's intelligent. Uh, I mean, you, you, you take her, you, you know, you take her seriously. Oh boy, she's, a, she's a real serious train wreck. Yeah, she <laughs> <laughs>
3: really was. I mean, I love the scene. I told her, that, and I told her, the, the uh, uh, production designer, I said, I want to have uh, the ship like if it's really messed up. So mm-hmm. let's be constantly working on the ship because mm-hmm. it should look old. Because at first it looked kind of new. I said we shouldn't. It shouldn't be new. Portions of it, the museum would be new because it's was for game, but the rest of it would be just really mm-hmm. uh, worn out. This thing that was an old battleship, it was right. not a new battleship, it was an old one, put into retirement. <coughs> and the day the film starts, it's into retirement, and it's becoming a museum. And uh, so, you know, I said, we'll have scaffolding all over the place for people repairing stuff, and I want to have uh, Ellen climbing in the scaffolding and, and playing with Ty when she comes in the morning to wrap her legs around his face and pull his face right into her crotch. And the uh, girl, like, what? <laughs> 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 and so I go, How are you going to do that? I said, You know, just put me some scaffolding. We'll figure it out. And sure enough, I told Alan, I said, you know, I told uh, Katie, um, uh, Kate, uh, I want you to jump up on the scaffolding and wrap your legs around his face. I want you to put right into his face, you know. And she goes, Oh, well, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And, and And you guys are both wasting on your mind. You're coming out of the party. And because uh, uh, I needed Altar to come. In. See this, and that's where we got the whole face-on-face face
2: coming out. That we're uh, Baltar's looking at them, and then all of a sudden, right out of Baltar's face, I,
3: I put the angle so that uh, Six's face comes right out of his face. <laughs> <You> go, wow! <"Whoa." laughs> all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's standing there. And all of a sudden, her face comes, and there's a little bit of front of his, and then we well, go, oh, my God, out of nowhere! You're, you're looking at it. it's done in real time. It's not a special effect. Right. And, uh, and, and they you, know, you know Ellen had her, her legs around. Uh, it's a wonderful scene. beautifully orchestrated beautifully done by these actors. They were so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Kate was just a brilliant brilliant artist. And they just went to the wall and she, had, and she was brought in. Her first scene was the drunk scene where she comes in at the very end of the movie. The very end, when we're all sitting there, hollering at each other, mm-hmm. really difficult scene to do. Another really funny scene, but it was situational funny because of the situation. It wasn't funny because we we're acting funny. Just timing, timing, I guess. Yeah, timing and situation, and it became really hysterical. And um, you know, <laughs> so anyway, we ended up doing that, and then that all of those things, like trying to put humor into the backstones was really, really, very delicate, very difficult, mm-hmm. because you couldn't break the reality of what we were trying to do and what really these people were undergoing.
0: Right. Never forget it. Well, tell us a little bit about future projects. You, is the Green Hornet?
3: You in that? I have the Green Hornet right now that's coming out in January <coughs> in 3D. Seth Rogen's playing the Green Hornet, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful. I mean, people, I, I've been... Turned down to some of the negative responses to some of the things that uh, people are thinking about the show they haven't seen. Either. Right. And I saw. I saw that. I think a lot of us have seen the trailer now. They realize right. It's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of fun. Oh. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and I think Michelle Gaudry, the director, and stuff a wonderful job. Now, of course, you know people are always pessimistic and sad. Yeah. That's how um, they are, and that's
1: great. You know. It was at least surprised I saw the trailer I, 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 I loved it I, I, was, I loved yeah, it I, I mean me I'm, I definitely want to see it yeah me too mm-hmm. I do too <laughs> and, and, your, and your
0: role in it is a reporter that's investigating
1: who no I'm I'm, I'm the
0: a, uh, the old time uh, uh, you
3: know I've been with the newspaper for 45 years sorry and I'm the head of, you know, head of the head of the newspaper and uh, Seth, uh, the Green Hornet's father, owns the paper. Okay. And so uh, the Green Hornet, uh, you know, Seth's character, is, is a very wealthy, spoiled little kid. Okay. And he start <laughs> off with, uh, at a very young age. And how he became, the way he became, yeah. it's so funny, it's hysterical. The little kid that yeah. played him was just fantastic. And anyway, it, it goes on to uh, you. You really get to feel the, uh, the how he got to be who he is, how the Green got to be who he is. and it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. And this Cato, <laughs> uh, done by Jay Jay Cho, um, is a, you know Bruce Lee played Cato on television in 1966. They did one season. And uh, then, you know, Bruce didn't want to do anything because Cato doesn't talk. Cato never talked. Mm -hmm. He was always very quiet. He just went in and fought. Whenever the Green Hornet would get into a problem, Cato would step in and boom, get the shit out of everybody and then would not say a word. And then, you know, Green Hornet would say, if you guys ever do this to me again, you know, you're going to... Come back and even do it worse to you. He didn't do anything. You know, that, that was, that's the humor, right? But in this case, this Kato never stops talking.
5: So
1: it's a juxtaposition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: hysterical.
3: Kato <laughs> has a big mouth, and he he's constantly telling you know the Green Hornet what he thinks, <laughs> and so it's really, I mean, it's really funny. I think people are going to enjoy it. I mean, there's always people that can not like anything, but you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a fun ride. ride. It's a real fun ride, and people are going to have a fun time. That's all. Yeah.
1: When's that going to come out? I think in
0: January. Okay. Yeah, she should be on the end of January. It should be good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. You're welcome.
3: So much. I... It's a rich continent. Than all the 12 colonies put together. (laughs) Just looking for a quiet little place for that cabin. Maybe a garden. I don't have much of a green
2: thumb, so I hope that you do.